In this episode of Full Stack Radio, David and I talk about the upcoming PushSilver Infinite launch and all of the coding and engineering effort that goes into a marketing initiative like this that you might underestimate. I talk about what it was like to release ZTTP into the world and how I went about writing a test suite for an HTTP client. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 66. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio podcast, episode 66. I am back with David Hemphill to keep talking about a Push Silver and Cron Dog and Kite Tail and all sorts of other uh, fun projects and stuff that we're working on. How's it going, David? It's going well. That's good to hear. So I guess we are like less than seven days out at the time of this recording from the Push Silver relaunch. Uh, with the new pricing stuff. So it feels like it's a lot has happened in the two weeks since we've recorded the last podcast. So what's going on there? Well, there has been a lot of stuff going on. It's kind of hard to keep it all in your head. There's a lot of like technical work that's had to be done. And um, I can't remember if we had the, the infinite landing page out. No, didn't have a landing page, didn't have a name, didn't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I launched the Push Silver Infinite, a landing page to notify interested folks about the new pricing and ran a little campaign on that. And so I've got a, a cache of emails to that are ready to find out what the new pricing is all about. But of course, people on this podcast already know basically the, the <laughs> price points. <laughs> nice, man. So how many people do you have on that list now? I uh, checked this morning and I have 165 folks. That's pretty good. Like considering that um, the alternative was to not, you know, think about putting up a landing page and getting zero people. So yeah. if you can uh, get a handful of those people to, to purchase, that would be uh, pretty awesome. Definitely worth the time to build it. Yeah. I'm doing a good job of keeping my expectations really, really low so <laughs> that if, you know, I only make like a thousand bucks or something... <laughs> I'll be like, okay, I expected this, but (laughs) in the case that it's 10x, 100x that, I'll be super excited. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So what else do you kind of have in store for the launch? Like what other things have you been sort of working on? Well, I've been writing the content for the email for the infinite list and then going through a bunch of detail work, kind of getting pushed over back. Not back, but getting into a place where it's ready to launch. So there's been a lot of rewriting the sign-up flows, the upgrade flows, even the emails that people get because they're no longer relevant. Like the one of the the welcome email you get, it's like, hey, thanks for doing this, for signing up and trying it out. You know, if you need more, you know, you can sign up for fifteen dollars a month. Well, that's no longer relevant. So you got to kind of button up all of the areas of the app, including all the areas where you previously restricted it based on this old plan. But now that people can have, you know, lifetime plans or a yearly plan, you don't have to restrict them anymore. It's kind of crazy how much work it is to update a bunch of stuff that's not even like a feature for the app or anything like that. Like you're just writing code related to some marketing initiative or because of a price change, there's so much stuff that has to get changed. It's just uh, one of those things that you kind of like really underestimate, I think, in terms of how much engineering effort it actually is to do something that seems like, you know, 
a marketing initiative uh, and should take marketing work, but really it takes just as much code as it does marketing just to even do something that's meant to be a marketing, you know, tactic. Right. Even something not as uh, sophisticated as things I've seen in other apps, it's like way more code. I've probably written twice as much code for this stuff than the whole code base for Push Silver originally. <laughs> that's crazy, man. So what sort of things are you working on like related to that? Like I know one of the things, for example, that's a little bit interesting to talk about is you were working on like a kind of detecting like full stack radio listeners as visitors to the page and sort of like offering them a different, slightly different experience than someone who comes to it like from somewhere else. Right. So what does it look like to do that sort of thing? Well, yeah, one of the plans is to offer the full stack radio folks and product, uh, product hunt folks, different pricing, some slightly even better, maybe pricing than the, the already discounted launch pricing. Yeah. Wink, wink. (laughs) and and, so the best way that well with the product hunt you have they send along uh, a a query string parameter ref equals product hunt and you can so I've had to build stuff around like detecting when that's there storing that in the session and then showing different pricing based on that and I've also done that for a full stack radio listeners um so yeah, that required basically I went in and created a a proper plan object in uh, in Push Silver, where previously it was kind of all just hard coded strings based on the Stripe plan and really ghetto. Uh, but I've kind of created a real object around it with tests and everything, so it can do things like fetch the highest plans, so that if you just come in cold without a uh, that re- refer yeah param or anything like that that it will just set set it to the currently the current highest plans um so that's kind of like the highest plans are for general use and then the lowest then it can set the lowest plans for like upgrades so like if if you've signed up you know if you were a previous free user and you were going to upgrade we kind of want to offer you the lowest upgrade possible sure and yeah so basically we're just when a request comes in, we're setting a, a session key that's equal to the the ref that comes in, and yeah. we're doing that kind of via middleware. Yep. And basically, what that'll do is it'll set the plans to the the correct ones for that refer. Um, and that's kind of cool because you really don't have this concept of coupons or anything like that. I'm just setting totally different plans based on that. So I'm kind of don't have to have a coupon field if I don't want to. Yeah. So this like class, I guess that you have that is responsible for basically determining what plans are like sign upable, you know, like available to even sign up to. It has like some dependency on the session basically. So it can kind of tell what state things are in and decide what plans to make available through the app. And it kind of all comes through that one central hub. Yep. So in my app service provider, it just sets up the defaults with the highest plans. And then if you happen to have that, that, that ref in the session or, or in your query string, it'll set that in the session. So that persists across requests, but then that middleware will run and set the plans for that, for that, um, for that session key. Yeah. 
And yeah, so, it's, it's interesting, right? Because like, there's a couple ways you could do it. Like, um, the naive way to do, well, not naive, but like one approach that like you might do at first that I think it would be bad would be to have like you come in through some specific refer, you know, endpoint or something. And maybe that just adds like a new link to the homepage. It says like, Hey, we see you're coming from here. Like click here to get like an additional discount or whatever. And they click through and that takes them to the sign up page and it pre-fills a coupon field or something, but maybe they click back cause they want to read the homepage and then they click through to the plans from the regular link. And now the coupon's not there. And it's just, you know, just these little pieces of polish. If you want to make it like a consistent experience and not have people, you know, wondering, well, Oh, well this is supposed to have this coupon. I saw it before. How do I get it again? Like it's <laughs> just kind of, you know, annoying things like that. So I think that session approach is definitely a cool way to handle that. Yeah. yeah I did kind of, took some of the ideas based off this app cash notify which is a stripe payment notifier basically and it that's exactly the way they they did it if you come in with from product hunt they'll show you a special banner and you can click through and it automatically applies the coupon launches the the sign up modal which is real kind of aggro to me but <laughs> it's like assuming that you're just going to do it right like sign up right now but if you click on like the home page to get more information it loses all of that if you hit uh-huh. sign up again it doesn't have the yeah. new pricing so you either have to go all the way back and like click from product hunt or know that you have to pass that in manually yeah yeah Whereas it's kind of we'll keep it yeah it's interesting there's a, I was, I've been trying to pay attention to like more things that I see apps doing that are, you know, engineering efforts towards marketing. I, I wish I, I wish there was like a standard term for it. Like I, I almost think of it as like marketing engineering or something or like growth yeah. engineering or, you know, whatever. Um, but one that I saw that was really cool was uh, with bare metrics. If you're on a bare metrics trial, they have like a banner that shows up at the bottom of every page that says, if you upgrade to a paid plan within the first like five or seven days of your trial i can't remember what it was you'll get like a 15 percent discount for life and this is just like you know a strategy that they're trying to get people to basically to help their trial to paid conversion of course right by offering yeah. a discount and also get them to do it like faster which is kind of cool because then you don't lose money on like a free trial for a long period of time like you get the customer paying faster but i thought that was like a an interesting kind of example of, you know, building features and stuff into your app that are just designed like not in any way to, to provide like the value that the product is trying to provide. uh, But it's just there for, because of, you know, marketing and sales reasons. And it'd be cool if you could somehow build something, I guess that like could do all this stuff without, kind of hooking into all your real code and like getting all mixed in with everything. But I don't think you can, you know, like when you look at the things that some of these apps are doing, um, it's pretty clear that these concepts have to be like integrated, like right into the application. Like you couldn't use like some SaaS app to decorate your page with all these different offers or, you know, different things like that. Maybe there's some people Mm -hmm. out there trying to do that in a clever way, but now, it's just a really fascinating concept to me to think about all this code that you have to write for things that are not related to actual app features. I was also watching a talk uh, yesterday by by Rob Walling, the founder of Drip. He It was a talk that he gave, I, th- I think it's the Saster conference, and I think that it was either this year or last year. And um, 
it was a talk on basically the history of their onboarding flow in drip. I'll have to link it up in the show notes, but uh, it's pretty interesting too, in terms of, you know, kind of giving you ideas for things that you can do with engineering that are going to help you uh, help your customers, like be more successful and stuff like that in terms of keeping track of, you know, has someone created a campaign yet? Has someone installed the JavaScript on their site yet? And tailoring like the whole experience of the back end based on where someone is at in the, those stages. So it's just kind of mm. interesting, like how easy it is, I think, to underestimate the amount of work that it takes code wise to, uh, to really do a good job on some of these things that aren't even really features of the app, you know? Yeah, definitely. Cause it even changes the upgrade and sign up flows, you know, like even down to the view component level, because like it was just naive before where it just had hard coded strings for the plans. And then now I'm passing in a plan, but that plan can be kind of dynamic. And if you submit that, uh, if the form submits via Ajax, you know, all you, you can only be able to sign up for the plans that are valid for that, for that refer. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It does. So basically kind of taking this dynamic plan in, in the account and signing up the user on that. Um, yeah. Pretty interesting. Been really challenging. So <laughs> and, where are you at, I guess with, um, all the things that you want to sort of have uh, ready. Do you have any like really critical stuff that you're still polishing or are you uh, feeling pretty good about launching next week? I'm feeling really good. I've tested the signup flows on my beta site and locally like a thousand times. <laughs> I, I really wish I had a good grasp on view component testing and the front end testing because that would make me feel better. Uh, but doing like manual, uh, what's that called? Manual testing uh, has been, you know, it works. Yeah. <laughs> I know that it works like colloquially, but I can't like prove it with tests and that sure. makes me nervous. The back end though, I can't, it, I can prove that it works uh, and errors in the correct ways that I have yeah. thought of, you know. Are you, uh, what version of Laravel are you on for push silver? I'm on 5.2. So kind yeah. of, kind of an older version. I wonder if, um, I don't think Dusk supports older versions of Laravel. Probably not. But it'd be cool if you could upgrade because then you, you could add those sort of, you know, I think of them as sort of like QA tests, right? Like uh, there's it's one thing to like write real tests for like your view components that are like kind of programmer level, making sure the code yeah, works like properly units. tests. Um, but Dusk I find is really useful for basically doing exactly what you're talking about, which is like, I wouldn't use it for TDD or anything like that, but I love it for automating a manual testing flow. Like if there's something that I know that I would want to click through and do and verify that it works and be able to do that in a repeatable way, it's perfect for just sort of like creating a robot that does that for you. You know what I mean? So, yeah. That, now that you said that, I, I'm reminded of this app called, uh, it's not flow. It's the people that make the flow, like where you could wrap a web page in a, a, a real Mac app. Um, it's called fake. It's a fake browser and it allows you to do like a, an automator workflow sort of thing where you click on buttons based on their IDs, fill in inputs that way. And so I think I could do some tests that way. Um, just yeah. Like way to, you could even do like that with old school Selenium, I think, right? Like I think they have like a, a workflow sort of builder 
thing. I haven't used raw Selenium in so long. I'm always using tools now that kind of use the Selenium API like like Dusk does. But uh, yeah, there's definitely things you could do there that wouldn't involve testing JavaScript per se, but would at least let you be able to automate that check of like, yes, the signup flow works properly. Yeah, um, I'm, at, I'm kind of at the point where I don't want to do an upgrade to Laravel, the newest versions of Laravel, because who knows what parts of the app that I've missed thus far and so like I'm, I'm pretty confident in how stable it is yeah how stable the back end is and you know that seems like a lot of extra head work yeah because even but, the even the testing stuff changed and so just changing all the tests over for the whole app yeah it's true that would be a bit I mean there is that backwards compatibility package that ho- hopefully would make it a little bit easier but yeah it's always always kind of rough I think um 5.2 to 5.3 is not too bad, I don't think, in terms of breaking changes. Like, the only ones I ever even noticed was um, some arguments changed position in some of the collection calls. That's, mm-hmm. like, the only thing. And that can mess things up if you use those a lot. Um, and then from 5.3 to 5.4, I don't even think I noticed anything. I think I was able to literally just do change it in my composer.json file and then run composer update and everything worked. Um, except the testing stuff, I guess. But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. The thing that I always find is uh, the hardest part of the upgrades is never like making my app like compatible with like the newest version of the framework dependencies. It's more just like keeping up with changes to the Laravel uh, kind of base project structure because you can't mm-hmm. pull those in with Composer or whatever, right? So you, I, I, I don't want even though it works to keep like a five one folder structure and have like Laravel five, four powering it. I don't like my stuff like drifting so yeah. far uh, where like the documentation isn't even like accurate for what I'm working on anymore because I, it feels like I have some weird hodgepodge combination of two versions of the framework. So I'm always trying really hard to keep like my folder structure and what files exist and what's in those files, like exactly the same as they would be when I generated a brand new, version of the project and those are always the hardest parts of the updates i find yeah like migrating your routes over from routes.php inside the http folder yeah that's moving a good it example. To web or api or console or maybe a new default middleware gets added to like the kernel and you haven't added it to yours like the trim strings one or the mm-hmm. convert empty strings to null middlewares um stuff like that or just things change a little bit uh, in like some boot method of a service provider that's a generated file just that stuff can be tricky but uh it's definitely never too much effort it's all, always only maybe like ever been maybe an hour or two hours work for me usually but i'm usually only working on smaller stuff anyways so yeah, yeah. i think you think there's a size of app that where you just write off any new upgrades on the framework like i can huh. think of like a huge financial app that i'm working on that's like no, I don't think I ever want to upgrade this thing because it, it works the way it is and there's too much at stake if, you know, push a, a wrong version. And, like, if something doesn't break when I upgrade, that's when I would be even nervous. I think I mean? um, if you get behind a version, then I would be scared pretty fast. I think, like, the best approach, honestly, even if you're, like, working on a pretty serious app on a team, is to, like, every month on the calendar, there's, like, one day that's dedicated to, like, check what happened in the latest patch releases of the framework or whatever and update and just do that all the time so you're always on the 
absolute most recent version so you always have the like least amount of changes to possibly make because i think if you if you're not consistent with it it can get pretty terrifying to upgrade pretty fast especially if you're even a year behind like it's not even a lot of changes but just like your confidence drops so much because you're making you know 10 changes instead of one you know so feels like every few years maybe you should just like do what we had to do when Laravel four changed to five, you, you just pull in like your, your, your controllers and see what breaks and then pull yeah. in your different library. I mean, it'd be nice to not have to do that, but that always does feel like, um, like a clean, fresh, feels start. clean. Yeah, exactly. It feels like you're got a brand new computer and you just copied over the files that you really wanted to keep. You know what I mean? Instead of like upgrading the operating system all the time. <laughs> I mm-hmm. don't know. That's kind of what it feels like to me, but there's always a risk that you just lost something important or messed something up and didn't really know. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, that's good to hear. So you're basically ready to go then. Are you, yeah, did, I think do you have so. any plans for like, um, for, for anything that you want to do between now and then to sort of keep it, uh, keep people aware, you know, that the launch is happening. Yeah. I'm trying to, strike that balance between being sort of spammy and markety and, yeah. uh, and like genuinely just being excited about my own stuff though. Um, and so I've been trying to keep it out there with, with tweets and that sort of thing, but it's, it's kind of hard to, when you feel like you're just spamming it to everybody that already knows, but you know, there's yeah. a lot of, lot to be said about that. There's people that just can't do it at that moment and they want to wait till they get home and, then they forget because you know we've got wife and a kid and they finally get on the computer at 9 30 and if there was a tweet hey remember you wanted to sign up for push silver infinite because you're hacking at night you know that could be useful to them yeah for sure yeah as long as you're keeping uh keep getting new email signups and stuff i think that's uh i think that's how i would measure if like what i was doing was working like if uh the signups are dropping off then like figure out a way to to talk about the landing page a bit in some way because uh yeah yeah i've noticed an uptick in actual signups for the app because it may have been like people just figuring out that there's a trial still or not a trial but a free plan and that there's going to be probably upgrade pricing for that sure so i'm seeing a lot of people yeah that's actually like an interesting discussion actually because like right now you still have signups open for the free plan Mm -hmm. even though like the new pricing is all sort of figured out and coming and the free plan is going to cease to exist Mm -hmm. so it's kind of hard to decide like should you still let people sign up for the free plan even though like you know like you're about to get rid of it because then doesn't it make it hard to like message them and say oh we're getting rid of it but at the same time people signing up for the free plan is is as good or better than people signing up for your email list in terms of, you know, they might be more incentivized to do it and it increases the amount of people that you can tell uh, about the pricing stuff. So eh, I guess now that I've said it out loud, I think I would lean towards like what you've done, which is allowing people to keep signing up uh, for the free plan. So, yeah. The interesting part about it is that the upgrade pricing is basically the same as the any pricing you would get coming in through like product hunt or full stack radio refers. And so they're just signing up to win. I, you know, either way they sign up, I win, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they win because obviously the pricing's awesome and the product's awesome, but I also win because 
you know that's yeah like, yeah exactly it's not like um you know you're gonna be angry that oh this person is trying to you know sneakily get a better deal or whatever like who cares like you just want to have happy customers and have people you know support the product so if someone gets ten dollars off when really they didn't you know quote unquote deserve ten dollars off because they weren't already on the free plan or whatever like who cares (laughs) yeah or because they signed up for the the account at the last moment and they get the upgrade pricing it's no big deal to me you know i'd offer it to people coming through product hunt so it's just as good as long as i'm not like giving those people way more benefit than the people that are, you know, just kind of keeping it fair across the board. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think that makes sense. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, it's not just a great feature but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy and we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer so the fact that we're able to click on this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important if we get an email from a customer and the customer says you know your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to rollbar and to say okay you know this individual customer this is how they're experiencing the site because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't we'd be dealing with it so i've been using rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app nitpick ci and loving it uh, if you want to check it out you can head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days so check that out and uh, thanks again to rollbar for sponsoring full stack radio yeah so i guess um trying to think what i got to to update on not a ton of super interesting things in like the the kite world uh from a super technical perspective anyways me and steve are still uh cranking on figuring out some product decisions and i've been doing my bi-week or my sorry my twice weekly streams which have been going well and uh working on some features and stuff there so lately i've been working on um basically some polish around error handling and stuff still. So things have always worked like pretty smoothly in terms of when things go right. But I've been working on what should happen if someone tries, if someone's a server responds like with an error to a webhook. So someone purchases then the webhook, the blocking synchronous webhook happens behind the scenes uh, back to that person's server and their server returns a 400 or 500 of some kind, you know, handling that in a elegant way and figuring out what to do with that information so right now it handles it in an elegant way in terms of uh the doesn't destroy the response on the client side in some scary way that makes you think your money just disappeared uh but what it wasn't doing was like actually logging what the webhook response was or like sending an email to the person who runs that server to say hey like you just got a new sale but your server borked out you know, here's what your server responded with. Here's what we sent in the request, you know, with all the headers and all that stuff to help people debug and troubleshoot things. Uh, so that's kind of what 
I've been working on uh, in terms of the code stuff there, uh, which actually led to what I think is a more interesting uh, kind of technical discussion, which was on the last episode, I talked about that ZTTP like package HTTP client thing that I have been using. Right. And yeah. um, I ended up putting that up on GitHub properly and uh, making it an actual package because uh, people kept harassing me for it. So I figured, okay, I'll do it, whatever. It'll be fun. So that's up on uh, packages and stuff now. But one of the uh, the interesting things about that was uh, I've always been looking for like a really good way to test HTTP calls, if that makes sense. Like I have pretty good strategies, I feel like, for testing like code that has to talk with Stripe or code that has to talk with some API. Uh, because yes, it's making HTTP calls to those APIs, but like I'm integrating with the actual API and getting data back from the API to make sure that, you know, if I go to uh, uh, pay for something on Stripe, I can write a test that actually hits Stripe with a payment and then retrieves the payments back from Stripe and verifies that the payment that I tried to make actually got made. Uh, but when it comes to stuff like an HTTP client that can just test like arbitrary HTTP calls to anywhere, um, I've never had like a good kind of setup in place for doing that. So I always knew that the way that I wanted to do it was to be able to make like a real HTTP call to some sort of test server uh, that was kind of like pre-programmed to respond in some ways that I can make assertions about. So I knew things were working or whatever. Um, and then like actually write tests that spin up this server and actually go and hit it. But I never actually gotten around to trying to set something like that up. Like I didn't have a good system in place for doing it. So um, the the one stream that me and you were doing uh, when I was working on the webhook stuff kind of figured out like a cool strategy for doing some of that, which was in Kitetail itself now, I have this webhook dispatcher class that I used to dispatch webhooks. And it uses ZTTP, um, but because ZTTP is like a third-party dependency now, I don't want to mock ZTTP. Like I want to make sure the webhook dispatcher actually dispatches the webhooks properly. Uh, so originally I was going to like set up another app with routes and all that sort of thing. Uh, but then we kind of figured out like, hey, what if we register some routes in the app that only exist in the local and testing environments and then use the webhook dispatcher to actually make requests to those endpoints in the same app, um, which was really cool because then all the code like stays in the same project. Yeah. Um, so the way it works now is I have like these endpoints in Kitetail that are sort of clever in that I could send data to them and it'll use that data uh, to decide what to respond with. So I can send like a webhook uh, to my own app at this like test endpoint that says, hey, I need you to send me back a 502 response because I want to test what happens when I get a 502. Mm -hmm. um, so I can sort of like program what the response should be from the request. And that makes it like really nice to write these tests now that um, I guess like one of my main concerns when I was writing these sorts of tests was like, I hate when I'm making assertions in my tests that you can't see in the test like where the assertion came from. Um, it's like the common, uh, common sort of debate between like fixtures and factories in like the Ruby community where like a fixture is like something that's already in the database. And I might just say like, get the first user from the database and assert that their name is John. 
but never in the test did you create a username John because the user was already mm-hmm. in the database. So those are the sorts of things I, I find can be confusing. Like when you're making assertions and you can't see like, well, why is his name John? Like, I don't understand this. Yeah. Um, so it was the same thing with the webhook stuff. I didn't want to like say whenever I hit this foo endpoint, I should always get back a 201 that contains this data and it's like well why is it giving me that data so using this approach of like being able to program the response from the request lets me keep like most of the important data in the test so you can kind of understand it and figure it out which is really cool um so then on top of that though when i extracted zttp to its own package i wanted to have tests for that too and i wanted them to work in a real way yeah so I wanted to provide like a test server with the package so that when you ran the tests, you could, you know, test them against the server and the package. And since it's a package, I can't just make tests against itself. Like I can when I'm running tests for like an app because I can create routes in the app and stuff. So I started bugging Taylor um, about Lumen and I was trying to figure out like, Hey, what is like the most absolute minimal lumen app i could possibly build to do this because if you look at the documentation and all that stuff it's it's a micro framework i guess in terms of you know being small and fast or whatever but it still comes with like a lot of boilerplate that i don't need like it comes with controllers and you know all the stuff that i really don't want exception handler yeah i literally just want like a one file that declares routes with closures that says what they should return right like i think mm-hmm. like uh is it slim that works like that which Not is like sure, a symphony yeah. based one uh, but you know i thought well if i can use like a, a, the laravel product you know that would be nice because that's kind of the you know where i hang out and what the stuff that i'm used to using mm-hmm. uh, so me and taylor hacked on that a little bit and we were able to like delete everything except for the index.php file in the public directory and have that be like the routes file involved like a little bit of massaging some things like copying some things out of the bootstrap file directly into the index file and stuff like that Uh, but we did get it going now so there's literally just one file is a whole lumen app and originally i had composer.json file in that server so like the the folder structure of this whole thing is like there's the zttp package then inside that at the root level you have like your readme and your composer.json and that sort of thing i also have like a source folder where the actual zttp code is code is and then a tests folder where the tests are so inside the tests folder i have another folder called server and that server folder is a lumen app so inside that folder i used to have a a composer.json file and you'd have to go in there and like install all the dependencies for lumen and kind of set that up and then you'd also have to um using whatever your local environment is like kind of make that available somewhere like add a url because it has to make real http calls to something that's being served by a real server um so there's some manual work there which sort of sucked uh but someone on twitter i wish i could remember who it was suggested like why don't you try putting Lumen in like the required dev of ZTTP itself and then just changing like where the autoloader points to in Lumen and seeing if that works. And it turns out that does work. So now I don't even have like a composer.json file in that server directory. Instead, Lumen gets installed into the vendor directory of ZTTP itself, but only when you're working on ZTTP, not like when you pull it into a real project because it's, mm-hmm. it's only a dev dependency. Yeah. 
So that was really cool. So that like eliminated one of the setup steps, right? So as long as you run composer install for all of ZTTP, it'll install those dependencies and everything will work, but you still had to go and set up a manual server. So then um, we figured out that using like the setup before class in like the ZTTP tests, I could fork like another process that starts like a PHP built-in server instance yeah. um, of that Lumen app and make that configurable through like your PHP unit.xml environment variables. So you can, in case you have like something else running and you want to be able to override the port or whatever. Um, so now it's actually really awesome. Like you just do composer install and then run PHP unit. And before it runs any of the tests, it'll actually spin up that server in a separate process at whatever URL you specify in your environment variables. All the tests will actually hit that real server and verify that all of ZTTP is working. And then at the end of the test suite, uh, using like a register shutdown function, because that seemed, there, there's two ways we could have done it. We could have done a teardown after class, but I didn't want to have two functions. I just wanted to have the one set up before class. So we use like a register shutdown function to actually go and kill that process after the fact. So whenever PHP, finishes while it's kind of cleaning up it kills that other forked uh, php server so it's it's really slick now you literally just download the whole package like you would to work on any open source project run composer install and then run php unit and it'll automate all the steps of setting up like real http integration tests for the whole thing yeah so that was like a a really cool yeah it's a really cool discovery to kind of figure out how you could use lumen in such a lightweight way with a little bit of kind of setup code to get it all set up. And I know like a uh, freak, uh, the spotty dude, he used to have a, I don't know what package it was of his, but they were using like a node server. And um, I showed him like the Lumen one and they've since moved over to doing that too. So it's kind of cool like to see other people adopting the same approach. And uh, we might be able to, you know, even put together something cool there that's reusable uh, for people that need to make HTTP integration tests on whatever package uh, they're working on. So yeah, long story to say, uh, ZTTP is a real package. It's got this cool test server thing that I'm pretty excited about how it works. And uh, you can pull it into any of your projects now with Composer Require Kitetail ZTTP. So yeah. yeah. It's pretty wild. I'm, I've been looking at the code. Yeah, that looks wild. <laughs> But it, awesome. It's awesome that Lumen can be thrown in one file. You know, I've kind of been messing with that today, actually, with a, an image resizing service that I'm using for PushSilver. That's kind of my own homespun uh, micro service. And so I took the inspiration from that to build this <laughs> single index.php that runs all these transformations on these images and throws them in S3. Yeah. So, yeah, it's Pretty definitely cool. sweet to um, to be able to do it in one file. To me, that makes like Lumen more attractive to me. Yeah, because before it seemed like it was like too Laravel close to Laravel. Almost. Yeah, yeah, it was too close f- to like if I'm if I was going to use it in its like default state, I might as well just use Laravel. Especially because like if you actually look at the benchmarks, Laravel on PHP seven is faster than Lumen on PHP five six. Mm-hmm. So if if Lumen on PHP 5.6 was fast enough for you, Laravel on PHP 7 is already faster. So who cares? Why would you even use Lumen if 
if you know you're already maintaining a Laravel app for something else, you know it seems easier to just be working with the same framework all the time than having to know about the subtle differences between the two. But now that I know that you can do like a single file Lumen app that's just like routes, that's way more interesting to me because there's definitely use cases I've run into where I've wanted to have just like a tiny router file that can do, you know, like a more of a microservice sort of thing like you're talking about or this test server is a good example. I mean, even for um, something stupid like uh, setting up like so I have a, this is so stupid, but I bought adamwathen.com the other day, finally, uh, which was painful. Uh, the guy wanted $4,500 for it. And I was like, I'll give you a thousand dollars. And he's like, sorry, the price is $4,500. And I was like, okay, have a good day. And I just, whatever. Then he came back and said 3,500 and I was like, nope, a thousand. And then he came back and said a thousand. So I spent a thousand fucking dollars, but I got my name.com. <laughs> Finally, and that's my own fault for letting it expire originally because I used to own it like over 10 years ago. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, so uh, I haven't moved my whole personal site over to like adamwathen.com yet. It's still at adamwathen.me, but I wanted to be able to like redirect adamwathen.com to adamwathen.me in some like intelligent way where hopefully I can like preserve the query strings or preserve like the URIs and stuff. Sure. And that's hard to do with just like DNS stuff. Probably impossible. I don't even know. I barely know anything about any of that stuff. Um, so I haven't actually done a full version of this yet, but what I'm planning to do is use a single file Lumen app hosted at adamwathen.com uh, where I can set up like redirects and stuff that just like go and redirect the whole thing to the adamwathen.me site currently. And it probably seems like overkill for a, a lot of things, but it's the easiest way for me to do it. And since it's just a single file, you know, now it feels like, you know, I'm, I don't feel like that's any worse than if I just had an actual hand coded index.php file that checked all the, the headers and all that crap. Like, I just don't or, care. Or like in patchy, you had like the redirects, the, uh, on the 302s or 301s, I guess, permanent redirects. Um, yeah, like you'd put those in your HT access file or whatever. Yeah, that always sounds like it really sucked when it's really as simple as it can be as simple. If you don't change the URL structure, it's as simple as just like replacing adamwatham.me with adamwatham.com and just yeah. sending them along with the, the query string intact. Yeah. So it might not even be worth doing, but it's just like an interesting situation that, you know, came up where it's like, you know, It'd be nice if I could write this in like a nice way in a single file instead of just like a messy single procedural PHP file with, you know, referencing all the globals, you know, super yeah. globals and stuff where I'm just like, I'm so distant from raw PHP for the last several years that I just don't know like anymore what gotchas I have to be paying attention to or, you know, things like that. I've, I'd rather just use something that like, converts everything into like something nice where I'm used to it. And I feel like, I feel like, uh, you know, I have a little bit more of a safety net in terms of like third party code kind of handling some of those security best practices and stuff for me where I can just write the stuff I need to write and not be concerned with, you know, what do I have to be careful of? Because I haven't written just raw ass PHP in so long. Yeah, or losing hours trying to figure out how to do it in Nginx or Apache. I, I'm thinking about like apps where you like change your main handle, but all the redirects still work. I wonder how they handle that in large apps. 
So like if you have a project, like a, a test-driven Laravel is your product in, a, in an app, it, like Gumroad. If you change yeah. your the slug for the the app, I'm assuming that the old URLs still work and they redirect to the new thing. And I wonder how they kind of handle True. that in a similar way. Yeah, because if not, that would really suck. I bet Surely, you that yeah. doesn't work with Gumroad, actually. It's hard to say. They probably expect you to have full control of every link, but there's certainly going to be, well, eh, maybe they maybe they do handle it. Because you, you can't control it. if someone else links to your shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So someone else puts in a link and then I break that link. You know, broken links are a big problem on the internet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I've noticed several services that will do the rewriting that way intelligently. Yeah. And I think Twitter does it somehow too if there's not a new account with that same that's that that handle like if you just change your account handle and then there's a new account i think that's still broken but i remember at one point where it would just redirect you to the new one just wanted to take a minute to thank hired for sponsoring full stack radio so searching for a new job can feel stressful scary time consuming you know you got pushy recruiters trying to sell you on roles that you don't want or job boards that make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again and sometimes you go through the whole interview process only to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for so hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development design product management, data science, sales, and marketing. The goal of Hired is to make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. So instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. So you just fill out one simple application, and then top employers apply to hire you. So over a four-week time frame, you'll receive personalized interview requests with upfront salary information, so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big companies like Facebook, as well as smaller emerging startups. And the size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. So right now, Hired can help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. And they keep all your information totally private, so there's no way that your current employer or past employer can see that you're looking for a new job. The best part about Hired is that it's completely free to you as the person who's looking to get hired. In fact, Hired will actually pay you a $1,000 hiring bonus if you take a job that was offered to you through Hired. And for Full Stack Radio listeners, they're actually doubling that offer to $2,000. So if you're a Full Stack Radio listener who's looking for a new opportunity, you can use Hired to look for a new job. And if you take one through Hired, you'll get $2,000. So if you're interested in more details about that, you can head over to www.hired.com slash fullstackradio to find out more. Thanks to Hired for sponsoring the podcast. Back to the show. Trying to think if I got anything else interesting to talk about. I mean, the one other thing that's kind of interesting is uh, at the end of this month, which is uh, June 23rd, I, th- I think, I'm going to uh, the ConvertKit conference in Boise, Idaho, which is uh, going to be a pain in the ass. It's going to probably be the worst travel day of my life because uh, it's the absolute hardest city to get to that I've ever even seen. So... I have to catch a flight at 6:30 in the morning in Toronto and that and it's an international flight and they say you're supposed to be at the airport 3 hours early but usually like 2 hours is plenty so that means I have to be at the airport between say like probably 4:30 and 5 
Uh, it's not going to be busy there, so I could probably show up a little bit later. But that means I have to leave my house at like 3.30 because I live mm-hmm. an hour away from Toronto. And that was the only way for me to get to Boise by like 2 p.m. Uh, I, I don't. I think they're mountain time there. Yeah. So 2 p.m. is when I'm going to get there, which is 5 p.m. here. So that's like a 14-hour travel day because of the connections. Like I have a three-hour layover in San Francisco, so I got to go all the way to the other side of the country and then come back in, which sucks. Ooh. Yeah. But that's the only way to get there. But it should be fun anyways. Basically, I'm going because uh, uh, Nathan from ConvertKit is someone that like I, I think is – you know, been really inspiring to me in terms of like doing all this, uh, this product stuff. And I'm working on Kitel now. And I had a chat with him about, uh, kind of, you know, what I'm working on and he seemed to think it was kind of a cool idea. So I'm going to go hang out there and hopefully get to hang out with him a bit and get his feedback on the app. And with any luck, if, uh, if, you know, if he's stoked about it, then, um, you know, that'll be really good for me to have someone who has like a, a company that has a huge customer base of all the sorts of people that would be able to benefit from, from using Kitetail and have him, uh, you know, excited about the project. So yeah, I'm going to go check out the conference. There's lots of interesting speakers and stuff there too. So it should be a good conference regardless. Um, but and, it's interesting. And beautiful Boise. Yeah. I, I think it'll be a cool city to see. It's not somewhere I would ever probably have gone otherwise, but yeah. So me and Steve are actually kind of like cranking on, some stuff to feel like we have so, like a good kind of prototype or demo, even if it means it's like an Envision or Marvel app, like interactive kind of prototype, just to be able to kind of show people there because I think it's going to be a good opportunity to get feedback from a lot of other people who sell digital products online because that's basically everyone there is that sort mm-hmm. of person. So um, it should be a good opportunity to uh to get feedback and and see what people think and find out you know what people care about that they're missing from from other solutions and stuff so should be a pretty interesting business development trip which is not anything i've ever done before so yeah yeah should be that's fun. kind of the, the whole theme of this episode is stuff that you know developers just don't do normally you know marketing yeah. and marketing engineering as you've coined it now going to conferences <laughs> just for marketing purposes and like you know yeah rubbing feels shoulders weird with people like that yeah feels wrong in some ways but i don't know i always laughed when people said that you know working on your own product was like 80 or 90 percent you know marketing and stuff like that and administrative things and like 10 percent coding i was like what yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna be the opposite figure out how to do it the other way this is no way <laughs> Well, you kind of can, if you can figure out how can I turn a marketing, uh, um, like how can I turn like something I need to do to benefit the marketing into a code problem? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I know like Patrick McKenzie, like patio 11 from Packer news and stuff. That's kind of like one of his like niches that like he seems to talk about and write about a lot is like, yeah, he's always been in like SEO and conversion optimization and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, but all his sort of like marketing stuff is like engineering driven marketing, like figuring out ways to use code to solve marketing problems, um, which is definitely, definitely interesting. I mean, it, it's kind of similar to what I'm doing with like the kite tail streaming and all that stuff. 
It's like I could be doing other marketing stuff instead, like writing blog posts about launching products or, you know, that sort of thing. But this kind of lets me like kill two birds with one stone. Like I get to work on the app, which is more fun for me. I get to like do live streams, which I find fun anyways. And it's like accidental, you know, marketing in the sense of you're raising awareness and like, uh, you know, making sure people know that I'm working on this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and get to do it all together. So it's always fun to look for for interesting ways to to solve problems that sound like they would be, you know, a slog uh, in a way that makes them a little bit more fun. It's like if, if you ever had like a, an office job that wasn't like a programming job, I always would have like repetitive Excel tasks to do or something, you know what I mean? And maybe I something was going to take me two hours of just manually over and over again doing the same thing. Or in that same two hours, I could like write a script that by like the one hour and 59 minute mark, I'd be able to finally run it and it would do all that work that would have taken me the two hours to do manually. And I would always opt for that approach, right? Because it's just like a way to take some boring thing that you don't want to do and make it more fun and interesting, even though maybe the outcome is the same because maybe it's a script that is totally throwaway and you'll only ever use that one time. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the hacker mentality. I remember when I was working in a factory, at a boat factory, cutting out parts with a laser, you know, that's where I was learning web development. You know, there's some, some <laughs> of those parts would run, take three hours to run, you know, cut out 200 parts on a laser cutter. And I was like learning web development and all that stuff. And until they took the internet away, a guy printed out like the web history from that computer and was like... <laughs> <laughs> this pile, but none of the workload had changed. You know, I, I had just figured out a, a faster way and yeah. got my work done. And then I figured out how to do a, squ- a squid proxy to get the internet back. <laughs> and so it's always just like the integ like we'll figure out a way to, to do it and keep it interesting for us. You know? Yeah, for sure. Cool, man. Well, maybe that's a, a good spot to uh, start wrapping things up. Where can people go to sign up for the push silver infinite, uh, like launch discounts and stuff. Well, if you want to launch discount, you can go to pushsilver.com slash infinite and sign up on that form. Um, I'm not sure when I'll send that out. Actually, I think I'm thinking about sending it out a few days before this kind of like maybe sending them to the beta page or maybe just waiting to the day of. I don't know. That's I think what I would to- do um, is send at least two total emails, like send an email um, a day or two days before announcing all the pricing changes and that'll be kind of like the wordier email that kind of like explains the history of it all and you know yeah just kind of gives all the information and then on the actual launch day just send another email that says hey it's live like if you want to check out you know if you want to get a huge discount um you know you already know all the information like here's the link go check it out Uh, and then that way you get two chances and people yeah. are a little bit more prepped for the actual launch email too. So yeah. I would try and do at least two. If you can think of another reason to email people between now and then that like would provide them value, but also make them feel like also be persuasive in some ways in terms of like helping them like understand the value of what you're doing with the launch, that would also be good. But like maybe, if you can't, you don't want to spam people. Maybe like, cause it's a, kind of a big feature release too. There's a few big features that are coming along with the just new pricing. So maybe that can be, Hey, along with the new pricing, we're also launching this, these cool features. 
I don't know. Yeah. Either way, yep. it's going to be a big day. So sign up at pushsilver.com slash infinite or just sign up for a, a trial account. We've already kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> Do what uh, you will. Enter your yeah. email somewhere and hit a button somewhere. Welcome to the family, basically. <laughs> it's going to be a big day. You know, two two days later, I have my next MMA fight. Oh, probably nice. my last one. And so I've kind of put a lot of pressure on this whole week. Like if the launch goes bad and then I lose my fight, I pretty much just need to hang everything up. <laughs> but if one of them goes okay, I'm sure that's fine. I'll Hopefully fine the launch goes well and you win your fight with a first round head kick knockout. I think it's doable. <laughs> you don't see a lot of first round stoppages at your weight class though. No. A lot of fast, speedy guys that can take it yeah. because it, they're not punching as hard, but, you know. Yeah, well, let's hope for a stoppage. <laughs> cool, man. Well, uh, if anyone's interested in show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 66. Sign up for Push Silver Infinite updates at pushsilver.com slash infinite. And... um as always, if you want to learn more about like Kitail and keep up with like some of the other initiatives going on there in terms of building it in public with the streams and stuff, you can head over to building.kitail.co. Um, I've been sending out newsletter updates every Sunday, which have been pretty fun with lots of little tips and stuff from the, the streams. And the whole streaming schedule is there and stuff too. So every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. So this episode will probably be out tomorrow morning, which will be Friday morning. So if you listen to it in time and you didn't know about the streams, you might be able to catch one tomorrow afternoon. Otherwise, they're all up at youtube.com slash Adam Uh All the history of them is there. So if you want to watch hours and hours of boring programming, that's the place to go. Uh, thanks to Hired and Rollbar for sponsoring the podcast as always. And we'll see you next time.